Mindset's the number one factor. Yes, you have to eat as well as you can. Yes, you have to get rest and sleep. Yes, you have to have people that love you. But mindset, what you tell yourself, just the same way when you played for the Buffalo Bills or at Louisville or at Elder, what you tell yourself is possible is what you're probably going to manifest and live out. Welcome to the next episode of What's Next with Eric Wood. Our guest this week is Rob Vaca. Rob has helped create Signature Pro, a community of the firm Signature FD. They help athletes, entertainers, and people with wealth avoid the pitfalls of what money can bring. Rob has raised over millions of dollars in the philanthropy space. He's beat cancer, and we will hear that story, and it's phenomenal. And I love his mindset that he talks about throughout this podcast. Rob dresses in a unique way, and you can find him on Instagram and follow along. Rob lives by three core principles, giving more than he gets, living with an attitude of gratitude, and investing in and building people up. And that will come through through this podcast and the way he impacts people. Enjoy. Rob, welcome to the show. Eric, it's great to be in Louisville with you, man. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Why don't you start off by giving the listeners some of your story, where you grew up, sports you played, college attended, early career life. Yeah, I'm a Jersey Shore kid. I think most people that meet me probably don't see me as a Jersey guy. I've been in Atlanta for more than 20 years, but I grew up in Monmouth County on the Jersey Shore. It was a terrific place in the 80s to grow up. I went to a high school called Middletown South High School, better known as No Sean Marino's school. Nice. We had um, we had some good, really good football players come through Middletown South. I played there in the '80s, and I wound up going to Ohio. I think you're from Ohio, aren't you? You're I from am. Cincinnati? I'm from Cincinnati, so just south of Athens. Yep. Right, just south. I actually went to uh, Wittenberg University in Springfield. I went to college with a ton of uh, Cincinnati guys bunch of elder guys yeah absolutely and um played football at wittenberg which was a great experience it was small college football but it was the ohio athletic conference there was a legendary coach who uh who led wittenberg back in the day by the name of bill edwards and the connection to the nfl is that bill edwards is bill belichick's godfather wow so i've talked to bill belichick a number of times about bill edwards and he claims he's one of the the most influential people in his life who wow. really shaped what he ultimately became. But growing up in New Jersey was really super. I played all kinds of sports. I started really playing soccer when I was little. I played basketball and baseball. And then ultimately in the 80s in New Jersey, there wasn't a big uh, youth football push. There wasn't a big youth football organization. I think it was Pop Warner only at the time. And so my first uh, introduction of football was in the ninth grade. I went to a junior high school. We didn't have middle schools. We had seventh, eighth, and ninth together. And in the ninth grade, I shifted from soccer to football. And that's where I began kicking the football and, and playing quarterback and ultimately went on to play in high school. And then at Wittenberg as a kicker in the 80s, as I said, uh, in the Ohio Athletic Conference was, was really a, a cool experience at the time. Good deal. So you graduate college. Where does life take you from there? Yeah, so I actually hoped to play professional football. I knew the odds were long because Division Three football is not known as a powerhouse. However, for those uh, of 
of you who are listening who have heard of Pierre um I'm trying to think of Pierre's last Garçon. name. Pierre Garcon. He came out of Mount Union College, which was in the Ohio Athletic Conference. That was a big rival of ours. So it was possible, not probable. I had an agent. I tried out for a few teams in sort of combine kind of settings. Didn't make it. My father said to me, man, you need to get a job. You can't stick around kicking footballs and hoping and wishing. So ultimately, I started with Merrill Lynch in the late 80s in the New York area. And by the mid uh, 90s, I was with a big oil company called Mobile Oil at the time, now Exxon Mobile. And I really went through this whole management training program where they shipped you off to different spots and trained you in all kinds of facets of the business. And at an early age, I was handed the keys to 10 or 11 mobile oil gas stations with convenience stores. And in my 20s, here I am managing a multi-million dollar business, and I didn't know what on earth I was doing. Wow. I was managing people. I was managing inventory. I was managing assets. But that was a tremendous learning experience in terms of trial by fire. And that, in conjunction with the football experience I had, really set the stage for me to, to do some interesting things post that. So from listening to your story um, and reading about it, in your early 30s, you had a big life change and, and a big thing happened to you when you got diagnosed with cancer. Will you tell the listeners that story? Yeah, so life is, is moving fast. Life is great. I'm living in New England. I was living near Newport, Rhode Island for about eight years. It was a tremendous time to be there. It was a lot of fun. I wound up uh, moving to Atlanta in 1998 and soon thereafter, I lost my voice. I was in a business meeting, I lost my voice, and I went to the doctor. I literally could not speak. And I go to the doctor, and it's an ear, nose, throat doctor, and they say you have a sinus infection. So I get antibiotics, I go on this antibiotic regimen, I do that for a month, doesn't change. I go to a different ear, nose, throat doctor, this doctor says you need different antibiotics. So we try that. So after 90 days of this sort of charade where I wasn't really feeling well, I was feeling sort of weak, I uh, couldn't speak properly, I get a voice x-ray, a voice box x-ray, and the doctors find that one of my vocal cords is not working. You have two vocal cords. If you've ever seen how they work, they flutter like, like a, a hummingbird, and one of them wasn't moving. So the long story short, after pushing and being my own advocate, and asking lots of questions and saying no and pushing back, I finally got a like fourth opinion. And that doctor said, hey, I think you have a mass in your chest. I think there's something wrong and we got to address this. So in uh, July of 1999, I found out that I had uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm. The mass in my chest was about the size of a grapefruit. And wow. The doctors at the time said, hey, I think we got to be aggressive. I think we got to go after this thing. And they looked me in the eye and said, you got a 50-50 shot at making it. So that was an interesting uh, time. And I think all of the, the things that I had done to prepare to that point, I had played team sports. I had played college football. I had followed um, motivators like Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn. And I had read books and I, ha I had worked on my mindset. So my mindset was pretty good at age 30, 
31 when I, when I was diagnosed. And so when the doctor said, you got a 50-50 shot, I said, wow, that's, that's pretty good. Like, if you, give me, if you give me a coin flip, I'm going to bet on, on me. I'm going to bet on my village and circle. I'm going to bet on the faith I have in God to get through this thing because I'm, I'm, I'm 30-ish. I'm pretty strong. I'm pretty disciplined. I'm, at the time, I was a pescatarian. So I was, I was really disciplined about what I ate. Can't say that today. But at the time, I was really disciplined, and I thought my odds were really good. Yeah, that's phenomenal. So you end up beating it. And what, besides great medical attention and, and treatments and all that, what do you attribute to you beating it? Your mindset, your positivity, and, and the fact that you, you were going to will yourself to beat it? I think a, a few things, maybe three in particular. Number one, a mindset that is it's partly sunny – not partly cloudy. Two, the faith I had in God to, to carry me through. I remember when I was diagnosed, I remember driving to treatment. I remember being in a chemotherapy treatment room with 15 or 16 other people. And I just remember being very aware, self-aware at the time and, and being very grateful. I remember, and I've said this before, I remember literally smelling flowers. I remember noticing things in the landscape that before that, that time, I, I didn't notice. I just remember being um, really grateful and hopeful at the time. So it was, it was sort of this attitude of gratitude. It was a glass is half full, partly sunny versus glass is half empty, partly cloudy. And it was the village of people that I had around me. I had really good people around me who were encouraging me, who loved me, who cared about me, and, and who were by my side. I have a question, and I hadn't originally planned on asking this, but I figured you'd be a great one to ask. So people in my life that have been diagnosed with cancer who get sick or have a family member, what's an appropriate thing to say to someone like that? Okay, so the way my mind works is, hey, I've heard these podcasts, and, and I've read these books, and there's a lot of diet stuff, and there's a lot of different things you can do to combat cancer. I mean, I feel like that a lot of times I don't send that over because I feel like it's going to offend them. So a lot of times I just say, hey, I'll be praying for you. And we do. Me and my wife will intentionally pray for people before bed and, and, and pray big prayers that we want God to heal them. But is it simp- you think the best thing to say in someone, uh, to someone in a situation like that is we'll be praying for you or should I try and step in like, hey, here's some mindset stuff. Here's some diet and exercise stuff that you could maybe implement. I think, first of all, the hardest role to play is actually not the person who has the cancer. Right. It's the person who's close or the people who are close to the people that have cancer. You know, right, right as we sit here, my father-in-law, who has lived a wonderful life, he's been a faithful guy, he's, he's a, just a great person. He's 88 years old. He's battling brain cancer right now. And I'm just watching my wife and my mother-in-law as the caregivers, as, as the lovers around him. It's much harder on, the, on those folks much harder. And so first of all, don't beat yourself up. There's no right or wrong answer. There just isn't. But I would say that having watched and observed people around me who were going through chemotherapy and radiation as I was, mindset's the number one factor. Yes, you have to eat as well as you can. Yes, you have to get rest and sleep. Yes, you have to have people that love you. But mindset, what you tell yourself just the same way when you played for the Buffalo Bills or at Louisville or at Elder. What you tell yourself is possible. 
is what you're probably going to manifest and live out. If you tell yourself, this is awful, I'm not going to make it, what if, why me, self-loathing, self-pity, which are natural things to do. Those are natural. We're humid. Right. Those are natural. If, if you do those things, you put yourself behind the eight ball. If you tell yourself, I'm grateful, there's possibility, there's hope, I trust, I'm going to battle, I'm going to pray, I'm going to lean on people around me, I'm going to share love and not frustration, even though I'll be frustrated, I'm going to, I'm going to battle those natural instincts. I just think your opportunity to survive increases exponentially, just the same way your ability to make it to the NFL or be an all-pro or last as long as some guys do versus others don't. A lot of that is mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I say that all the time with guys in the NFL. I'm like, there's so many guys that have the similar strength, skill, speed, and all that. A lot of it's mindset, and a lot of it's the mental game that, that they're willing to invest in. So you, you beat cancer. Where does life take you from there career-wise? Well, first of all, I think going through that process um, made me very aware to the fact that so many things that I thought were important or critical don't matter. Mm. And it, it injected in me a, another element to mindset that I could still be competitive. I could still want to achieve. I could still want to be the best. But that at the end of the day, you can't lament all the little things that can get in the way, all those little things that amount to what I call head trash. So I think that process helped me soften my, um, my, my A personality. I, you know, I'm a driver kind of person. If you look at the disc profile, um, I have a lot of I tendencies, which they call that influencer, I think, and a lot of D tendencies, they call that driver. If you're not careful, you can steamroll over people. Mm-hmm. You can get bogged down in the little things and they can drive you crazy. And I think that that period really softened my stance on I got to be a perfectionist. I got to get everything right. I can't lose. What's the expense of winning, right? If you win, does someone else lose in business or in life or in a relationship? So I think that period in life helped me clarify that don't sweat the small stuff. Don't have to win every time. And just let the process unfold. You can't control. You just can't control everything. That's incredible stuff. And that, can, that, that is a great sign of oftentimes the hardest things you go through in life end up being the biggest blessings because of what you learn from them. And, and now you have created a business where you work with professional athletes, entertainers, people with money, and you help them find fulfillment in their life, help them find their passion and, and help them. And I heard you say this uh, elsewhere avoid the pitfalls that can come with wealth. How do you do that on a day-to-day basis, and and where do you strive within your business to impact people in those areas? Well, I think it's important to understand how I got to where I am in terms of why why am I even doing this? Mm -hmm. Why do I even care about NFL players and what happens to them? Where's my intention lie? I did not wake up one day and say, I want to form a business plan to work with professional athletes. Right. I want to be in the finance world or the wealth world or the helping people world or the philanthropy world 
or the life coach world or the business coach world. I didn't wake up and say, let's form a business plan and go do those things. And here's the P&L and here's what it's going to cost. And here's the, I didn't wake up and do that. My life journey led me there. So after I left the big oil business and got into technology and more of an entrepreneurial world, when I moved to Atlanta 20 plus years ago, ultimately I helped start several companies along the lines of luxury travel and experiences and charities. So those luxury travel experiences impact charities. Mm -hmm. And over the course of the last 11 or 12 years, I've interacted with hundreds of different charitable foundations and hundreds of different pro athletes because a lot of athletes, as you know, either have their own foundation or support Big Brothers, Big Sisters, Special Olympics, whatever it is, Make-A-Wish, etc. So through that last 12-year period or so, I've come across literally hundreds of pro athletes, coaches, etc. And through the process, I've gotten to know a lot, a lot of guys and their wives or families. And my observation led me to, to see that pro sports, as you've said on your podcast in the past, A, the odds of getting there are very, very small. B, the odds of staying there very long are very, very small. Mm-hmm. C, most guys go all in. So if you go all in and you push all your chip, chips onto the table, if you spend your life trying to get there and the odds are small, and staying there is very hard. If all those ingredients come to play, then ultimately what happens is all those guys who went all in go bust, meaning they're out of the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, hockey, whatever sport they're in. They're out of that pretty quickly. And now you have a, as a guy that played in the league for eight years, he was a tight end, played at Notre Dame, he told me he was a 31-year-old, 21-year-old. So now you're, if you're lucky enough to get to 31 and get out of right. the league, you're really, really fortunate. Most of the guys that come out of the NFL, for example, right, are 27, 28, maybe 29. So you're not even at 30. You're young. You're not even at 30 years old. And you feel like you already pushed all your chips on the table and they've been sucked up. And now you're like... What do I do next? So I observed this through lots of relationships. And what I saw was lamentation. I saw hesitation. I saw identity crisis. I saw lack of confidence. I saw what led to marital discourse. I saw what led to depression and anxiety. I saw what led to a lack of purpose. And all that stuff pained me. It pained me because, A, I love the game of football. I believe that for me, Although I did not play in the NFL, I did not realize that dream. It gave me all the tools I needed to navigate life. It gave me humility. It gave me teamwork. It gave me perseverance. It gave me grit. It gave me winning, losing. It gave me all four seasons in one football game. In one football game, you can live all four seasons. You can live. You can be uh, in summer. You're up 20. You can get to winter because – the other team came back, and now they're up. They scored three touchdowns and, and extra points on all that. They scored 21 points. You were up 20. Now you're down one. There's so many seasons of life that you can experience by playing football. And I just feel like the game has given me so much, and I understand uh, what it's like to go all in on something, that I'm attracted to 
helping. I'm attracted to giving back to the guys that play. I'm attracted to giving back to the coaches. And so that's really what's led me where I am today, which is sort of being a life coach, business coach, charity coach with a team of experienced, knowledgeable, seasoned wealth management financial professionals around me because I believe that in and of themselves, wealth management alone, life management alone, business management alone, in isolation, those things don't come into synchronicity. And I saw a need to bring them into synchronicity for so many men and their families who were struggling. I think that's a great point. And there have been times in the past where, you know, if I want to tithe, you know, but my financial team isn't on the same page, that could be a very awkward conversation. You're going to give 10% of your way or what? And, and vice versa. It, can, it If everything's not aligned in your life, it can be extremely tough. Can you give an example of a player that would be proud to have his story told on here and maybe how you helped him rebound from retirement and how you're working with him in what capacity now? Well, I'll use a, I'll use a guy who um, – who I played golf with yesterday, and I'm just I'm, I'm proud of him because he's living out his passion, he's living out his purpose, and that's Dante Robinson. So he played 10 years in the league. He was a first-round pick of the Houston Texans. His story is a really, really interesting story. He grows up in Athens, Georgia. He is a Bulldog fan. He's a Georgia Bulldog fan growing up. I love this story that he told on your podcast. Keep going. Yeah, so he, he – he grows up playing high school football in the shadow of Sanford Stadium in Athens, Georgia. Turns out he doesn't get recruited by Georgia. He's, in effect, shunned by Georgia. And everybody at your level who played at your level has a story like that and has a chip on their shoulder, perhaps, that they use in a positive, motivational way. He gets recruited by South Carolina, winds up going to Columbia, plays for the legendary Lou Holtz, winds up a first-round draft pick of the Houston Texans, I think the 10th overall pick, winds up playing 10 years in the NFL, closing out his career in Atlanta. And here's a guy now who has five beautiful children. His wife, Shante, and he run the Dante Robinson Foundation. He feels very strongly that in his childhood and growing up in Athens, Georgia, there were um, lots of kids like him who were not going to play professional sports, who are not going to get to go to a college like South Carolina, who are just spinning and wallowing and not sure what to do, don't know how to attack life and don't know how to go through life. He develops a program of entrepreneurship. He develops a complete curriculum. He brings in experts. He uses his own money. He uses his time, talent, and resources, and he develops this whole program for entrepreneurship for at-risk and inner-city youth. That's number one. Number two, he goes back to school, and he just got his real estate license. He's in the commercial real estate world. He's studied. He's convicted. He got his license. And what I'm really inspired by is one thing that professional athletes have across the board is grit, the ability to overcome the odds, the ability to beat adversity. A lot of you and your 
fellow players came back from and fought through injuries, right? There's no, as Tom Brady says, somebody asked him, right, the famous question, hey, what's the injury report look like? And he says, what do you mean? Everybody's in. The entire team's injured. Right. It's just a question of whether you're going to play in the game or not. Everybody's injured. So to be able to battle through and, and go through those challenges to get to that level, a lot of guys sputter because they're unable to unlock the key to those attributes that got them to the NFL or to Major League Baseball or to the NBA. They struggle to unlock and, and tap into the power that was what inspired them to get where they were. Dante has figured out how to tap into the leadership skill that he has, the perseverance skill that he has, the patience that he has for the process, and he's translated that into philanthropy and giving back, helping the world be better, helping kids, and to developing a business strategy for himself that'll carry him through and allow him to work into the, his 80s or 90s or 70s, however long he wants to work, because real estate is not going away. So he's a really good example of somebody who's taken his purpose and developed it, put it into an action plan, and tapped into that source that got him to the NFL to begin with. That's great. And I heard Dante's story on your podcast, Making Your Mark, and uh, I, I suggest people tune into that as well, and I'll sh- take the time to shout it out there. Cool. And so there's a success story. What's the biggest observation you've seen with guys who do not transition successfully out of pro sports or the NFL in particular? I think it's fear. And I think the more days that go by, the more time that goes by, the more time you have to think about things and perhaps evolve into this glass is half empty, this, you know, it's partly cloudy sort of mentality the head trash that starts to accumulate, and we do this to ourselves. I've done it. You've probably done it. The head trash that starts to populate our first our head, then our soul, then our psyche, all of a sudden, you're kind of polluted. And I think once you get there, it's almost paralyzing. I had one player tell me that it took him five years, and these are his words, not mine, five years to get off the couch. Wow. I, he said, I spent five years picking the kids up at school, trying to go through the motions, trying to stay busy, but I, I just couldn't get myself to do something that allowed me to really feel good about produ- production, results, and my purpose. And I think there's lots and lots and lots of former pro athletes who, because of, first of all, and this is, this is something that very few people talk about, and I was listening to your podcast with, with Merrill Hodge, and there were so many nuggets in that podcast that both you and he shared, but Merrill said something about you retiring. He said, when you retired because of your injury, I really, I think the nuance is you didn't retire. You You're were forced. Ex- Thank you for saying You were that. forced. Yes. You were forced. That's not retirement. Retirement is when you raise your hand and say, you know what? I'm good. I have fulfilled every dream and desire I ever had. I have checked all the boxes. I feel great about exiting. I'm done, man. I'm ready to transition into something else. Not only am I ready to do that, I have a plan. I feel good about it mentally, psychologically, physically, physically, socially, financially, all these different uh, elements and attributes. But most NFL players, most, the super majority, the super majority of baseball players, the super majority of basketball players get told 
That's it, man. You're done. You're done because of injury. You're done because of product productivity. You're done because of age. You're done because you're too expensive. You're done because there's, there's two guys I can get that I can pay $500,000 each versus paying you a million dollars. And what that does to the psyche, I don't think people talk about. And I don't think people evaluate. You and I were talking about CTE and the brain and maybe the, the, um, the reality of some of the issues and the lack of fact around some of the other issues. Right. I think people have not measured and thought about what does the impact on the psyche, the mindset, the identity have on someone who's fired, told they're done, abruptly leaves without a plan, and then isn't ready for what's next. Because if you think about it, you have a trainer who helps you physically. A lot of people in this world have a nutritionist. A lot of people have a business coach. Every NFL player, if they don't represent themselves, because there's a few guys do, but most have an agent. Most have a financial advisor. Some have a marketing rep, right? You have all these people on your team, all these people on your team. Who has a transition coach? Right. Who, so you get ready to leave and make a major, major transition in your life, one that is going to impact your family, one that's going to impact you psychologically, one that's going to impact you socially, one that's going to impact you financially, and very few people say, you know what, I need a transition nutritionist. I need a transition person on my team who all they're focused on with me is helping me find my purpose, pull it out of me, find what's next, connect me to the right next village because maybe my current network is not the network that's going to get me through the next 20 years of my life. Right. And I think there's very little discussion around that. And I think it's more around that issue than it is around any other issue, including injury or finance or, or any of those things. If you don't have direction, if you don't have clarity, if you don't have some purpose, and as a man, if you're fired and then you don't have a means and a mechanism to quickly get to productivity and generating results, and you're an alpha male or you're a pro athlete, that's devastating. And no one's talking about it. That is Absolutely phenomenal stuff. I promised all the listeners I did not put Rob up to say that my career was ended and I didn't retire. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is I actually went on a, a Buffalo radio station earlier this year when Andrew Luck retired and they said, hey, can you speak on that? Because similar to Andrew Luck, you walked away because of injury as well. I mean, my head wanted to explode. And, and for it's, it's, it's pride. It's, I know it's pride in me, but I did not walk away from the game. And to your point, it wasn't on my terms yet. I could have walked away from the game in a few years from then, and maybe I would have if, if, if God had that in his plans for my career and, and, and all that. But, man, that, that rubs me raw. And, and you just made a number of phenomenal points. And for me, a huge blessing in my life. I actually started working with an executive life coach, business-type coach, right before my last season in the NFL. And – I did not plan on this to be a transition coach. He helped me through a lot. But even with that support of my life, the lack of productivity you talked about, for me as a man, for the longest time, every week in the NFL, I got a grade on the game. All off season, 
I was tracking strength numbers, body fat. It was all results. It was all on paper. I could see what I was doing. Well, during that year off, I worked one college game and got good reviews. I did a couple pregame shows uh, for a network called Stadium. And, and, but it was such limited work and nothing in my life could I see tangible results. Well, now, now that I'm in the broadcast world, when someone asks me, what are you doing nowadays? I don't have to tell them anymore. Oh, I'm just figuring it out. And they say, man, you're, you're 32, 33 years old. You're too young to be retired. I know. I didn't choose to be retired, but I'm trying to figure it out. Well, so-and-so can get you a job. Okay, well, I don't want to just do some random job. That's not how I'm cut. I want to impact people. I want to be around sports. I got to figure something out, but I just haven't yet. And it was so tough for me, and it wore on me at times. You know, to where I would lose my mindset, like, dang, well, people will leave me alone. And, I, and these people genuinely cared about me. Right. But in my, in my mind at the time, because I was unfulfilled, I almost felt attacked at times. But now, through the broadcast stuff, getting back involved, I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband because my mindset's better, because I'm doing something that's fulfilling outside of the home. And, and, and to make sure that I'm making an impact at home as well, I do these weekly grades with lesson because I realized – I like scorecards. So once a week, I text my wife and say, hey, and I talked to Dr. Amen about this uh, on my last podcast. Give me a grade between 1 and 10. I won't combat it. You can say whatever you want. I just want feedback from the last week, grade 1 to 10, and a little bit of feedback, and I can't justify anything, nothing. Well, I like that because it's a scorecard. And then when I'm going to the L basketball game with her, I might say, hey, where do you want to eat? beforehand you want to grab dessert after because I know that she that would that speaks her love language is spending more time together and this and that so I am in my life I need grades I need to see results and man you just hit on so many great points and so many people will benefit from hearing that you seem like a guy that each day I follow you I follow your story I follow you on podcasts I follow your social media you seem like a guy that wakes up on fire each day What's a, what's a, per, I know you travel a lot, so this can be effective. What's a perfect morning routine for you? Well, first thing is I, I literally don't miss a day where when I open my eyes, I thank God that I opened my eyes and I have another day on this planet with my family. I literally do that every day. And that sets the tone because I think we think somebody listening right now is going, that's hokey. That's a nuance. That's, that's not going to work for me. The reality is, back to what I said 15 minutes ago, you are what you feed yourself. Mm-hmm. So I love, I, I, I got to admit, I love donuts, right? I have this little mini donut. I have two mini donuts every morning with a cup of coffee. I know that if I ate three or two giant donuts every morning, that wouldn't be good for me. So I get my little dose of mini donut, right? Here's my point. If every day you tell yourself, ah, oh, it's raining, ah, oh, I got to go to work, ah, oh, ki- I have to talk to my kid's teacher today. Oh, if you start your day like that, you will live a self-fulfilling prophecy and life will not be full of joy. So number one, it's affirming and being grateful right out the jump. Number two, I try to do th- three things every morning. I try to do something that is intellectual and challenge myself and think. So I, I review my sort of life goals and the three things that I stand for every morning and the three things I stand for, I've said this before, number one, attitude of gratitude. Number two, give more than I get. And 
Number three, lift people up, build people up. Don't, don't knock them down. Don't tear them down. It's that I challenge myself every morning as I'm having my cup of coffee. The second thing I do, and I'm fallible, and I continue to make mistakes, and I'm going to make mistakes when I leave here today, but I have four roles in my life. I have to pay attention to those four roles. If my identity gets wrapped up in helping athletes and that's all I do, that's not good. If my identity gets wrapped up in being a former NFL player, I'm not, but you are. If your identity is wrapped up in being an NFL player and that's your whole identity, that's not good. Right. So I've identified four roles in my life. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I am a people connector. And I'm a change agent. So those four things are what I aspire to get better at and pour into each day. And again, sometimes I fail, but I know that if I let one of those buckets go real low and get the gas low in the bucket and I run out of gas in one of those buckets, that is not good. It's not good for me. It's not good for my family. And it's really not good for the world. Man, that's phenomenal stuff. I'm, I'm going to piggyback some of that and I'm going to steal some of that. I, I love that. You have a unique style about you. The way you dress, if you find Rob on Instagram, you'll be able to see that quickly. Where did that stem from, and what's the point of that? You know, I've always liked clothing. I, I found an old yearbook about a year and a half ago from Bayshore Junior High School in Leonardo, New Jersey. And I was voted best dressed. And I looked at the photo, and it was awful. I had on a cream-colored sweater cream-colored corduroy jeans and, like, bad shoes and the worst haircut in the history of the earth. So I was a skinny, freckle-faced kid. I had glasses from an early, early age. When I was growing up, the glasses you could wear were awful and horrible. Those were the two styles. Right. I usually pick one of them. It was, like, black, uh, black plastic or gold metal. Those were the two styles. Now there's nine billion styles, right? So... From an early age, I just like, I like clothes. I like clothing. So that's probably my demise, my only, um, my only sort of vice. We have an atypical situation. My wife will say, stop spending, stop buying clothes. Not once in our entire 18 years of marriage have I said to my wife, please don't spend any more money on clothes. So we got this reverse thing going on, but I like different stuff. I just like different. I like unique. It speaks to my sort of my attitude. I don't want to look like everybody else. I don't want to wear the same clothes as everybody else. I don't want to talk like everybody else. I just want to be me. And, you know, it's interesting. We, we went to this, my wife and I went to this um, charity event on Saturday night in Atlanta for the Titan ministry. It is a special needs ministry through our church that is building a multi-million dollar facility for 15 young adults with special needs who typically can't walk. They're confined to a wheelchair. They either have physical or cognitive disabilities. And I go to this thing and I'm wearing, I'm wearing a gold sport coat that wasn't bright gold, uh, like a black gold sport coat. And I had gold sneakers on. And my wife said to me, yeah, somebody said to me at church, like, uh, wow, those were serious sneakers you were wearing. You're wearing bright gold sneakers to a, you know, a special needs fundraiser. And I'm like, because that's me. That is who I am. I'm not, I'm not wearing something somewhere because of something. I'm just going to be me and I'm going to speak to who I am. And I want to have a great attitude. I want to have great energy. I want to have great passion. I want to have great enthusiasm. And I want to wear cool clothes. I love it. 
I love it. Makes a statement, and, and you are who you are, and I truly appreciate that about you. I want to go back to one last thing before we get to the rapid-fire questions. You talked about being a change agent. This will apply to anybody listening to the podcast because there's a number of former pro athletes that take beneficial nuggets. There's people that pour into them that take nuggets from these podcasts, but also there's a lot of people – that listen to it, that, that will never affiliate with pro athletes, but want to make change in their life, whether it's diet, whether it's exercise, whether it's spiritually, whether it's a commitment to their wife. Maybe they want to leave the group of friends they're with and, and, and get around people that will more impact them. I always say you're an average of the five people you spend the most time with. I'm lucky today. My day will be uplifted from spending a majority of my day with you, my wife, and my church group later tonight, my men's group that I'll spend the night with. How do you instruct people to implement change in their life? Well, first of all, very few people write things down. You have to write it down. You have to have a written plan or a written process. And that doesn't mean it needs to be 37 pages. In fact, that's too long. I would have a one-page written plan. What are my top three one-year goals? What, am I, what do I want to change? What do I want to do this year? What do I want to do this 90-day period? And what do I want to do this month? And then every day when you wake up, you're working toward those things. You're manifesting those things. You're, you're positively talking about those things. If you don't have it written down, it's very hard to have come true. It really is. And I've made that mistake lots of times in my life where I wanted to change something. I wanted to do something, but I didn't write it down. And therefore, I didn't have a reference point to go back and look at. For example, those three attributes I talked about, the four roles I talked about, Mm -hmm. I have those on paper in electronic notes on my phone, and I've built it into my personal mission statement. I read it often. I fail enough, but I'm always working toward it. So I think if you write things down, if you Um, if you work toward things, if you try to eliminate negative thinking, you will be in a great position. And there's a book I would recommend that everybody read. I read it first about eight years ago or seven years ago. I continue to read it. I've read it four or five times. It's called the 4-8 principle, the number four colon eight principle. It's based on uh, Philippians 4-8, which is a Bible verse that says, do whatever is noble. Uh, it says, brother and sisters, whatever is true, pure, noble, wonderful, good, do that. Run right. to that. Yep. Go to that. And it doesn't matter. If you're Christian, not Christian, it doesn't matter. Do you want to do what is wonderful, pure, noble, and good? You don't have to be a Christian to do that. But you should be focused on doing what is good and what is right. And that book and that process and reading through what Tommy Newberry puts in there really helped solidify my action plan, which is to have this attitude of gratitude, develop the four roles that are important, write it down, and be intentional about it. That's great stuff. I, and, and I think there's tremendous value in writing stuff down. That's something I've been encouraged of over the past year, preparing a mission statement, which has changed recently and, and will forever be changing. And, and mine at this point, it's simple, and it'll, it'll probably be more specific, but when I realized that I needed to be more outwardly focused and less inwardly focused as far as impacting other people, I felt like there became more direction in my life over the past year and a half. So for me, I want to 
use my platform that God has given me, whether it's in broadcasting football, whether it's my platform here in my house that we're recording in right now, to positively impact people mentally, spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally. So that looks like a number of different ways in my life, but as long as I'm doing that each day, okay, well, I'm living to my personal mission statement. That's when the anxiety leaves. Yeah. When, it, when the anxiety creeps in is what I used to call who gives a crap mode. Well, I don't really have anything to do today. Eh, I guess I'll just – I'll take the kids to school and I'll come get, grab a workout. Okay, then what? Well, right. who gives a crap? I don't, right. Well, when I just stay outwardly focused, even if I don't have a ton on my schedule that day, it's – Oh, shoot, this guy text. Oh, I haven't written him a, a note. Oh, I needed a thank you card for that. All of a sudden now, inwardly, I'm living to my mission statement, and that has given me direction. At times when I could have crept back into the rut that I was in uh, post-playing, and, and I absolutely love that. I will check out that book, uh, The 4A Principle, for sure. And so that takes us – that's a great transition to our recurring questions. What is your favorite book? That's it. So the 4-8 principle is my it's, – it's literally a handbook. I think it's something that can be read. You could read it monthly. It's a handbook. There's exercises in it. There's affirmations in it. And it's really interesting. I met Tommy Newberry, the author. I've spent some time with him. I've introduced him to some people. He's personally coaching some people in my circle. And one of the things that, that he does – I haven't done this, but he does. might be something for you to try because your kids are younger. When his kids are young, were younger, he recorded – an affirmation for each of his kids that they listened to before they went to bed, which went something like, Sarah, just know that you're loved. I love you. Your mother loves you. God loves you. The world is possibility. The world is not negative. The world is sunshine. There's going to be bumps in the road. You can beat those. You can overcome. So he literally did that. He recorded these affirmations, and the kids, when they were six or five or seven or 12, they listened to this before they went to bed. So it's powerful stuff and can be applied. It's not just a static book. I'm going to steal that because right now, because of my broadcast career, I'm gone three, four, sometimes five nights a week. Before, When I'm at home, I pray with the kids before bed. I tell my little girl, because she's old enough to get it now, you know, when we pray, when me and my wife are praying with her, I say, Grace, we are just so lucky to be your mommy and daddy. We love you so much. And it doesn't matter what type of day we had. We, we end it that way. Yep. And when she lays her pillow, her head down on the pillow, and I'm not judging. I know every situation is different. But she does not come running to our room in the middle of the night because she knows she's laying her head down to a mommy and daddy who love each other. And, and I thank God for my beautiful wife and who, who is so loving. And that way she goes to bed. But if I do that and I give some type of recording when I'm gone, I can ensure that. And then this morning before I take them to school, I'm, I say, Grace, what are you going to do today at school? Spread joy. Okay, well, that's what you do, girl. Like, that's what God that's has awesome. given you the gifts to do. We call it her superpower because she can spread joy better than anyone I've ever seen. And then I say, what can you always make it? She said, you can always make it the best day. Because she used to come home from school and she said, today wasn't a good day. I said, well, you can always make it a good day. Well, now we start off that way. So those recordings might help. I'm, I'm trying to think of the device I want. Back uh, when I was playing through my foundation, we did these Build-A-Bears. And it was my re voice recording that we would give to kids at the right. hospital. And it would say, hey, this is Eric Wood from the Buffalo Bills. I just want to let you know that I'm your biggest fan. Stay strong. Get better. Go Bills. And that would give them constant positive yes. affirmation anytime they wanted. Maybe it's a build a bear. Maybe it's another deal, but I truly appreciate you sharing that with me. 
you've talked about your faith a number of times through the podcast already, and I appreciate your bold witness. What role does your faith play in your life? Gigantic. You know, I, I remember the shift took place for me. I grew up Catholic, and um, I don't think it matters, by the way, whether you're Catholic or Methodist or Ethodist or Ethodist or whatever it is. You right, want. I grew up Catholic as well. So I shifted to Methodism only because when I moved to Atlanta, I looked for some new churches. I fell in love with the church in Atlanta, wound up being Methodist, and, and, and so now we're, we're part of a Methodist church. But the point is, when I went through cancer, I finally felt the presence of the Holy Spirit with me. Because through the early days of Catholicism, when I was young, I went to Catholic school through the third grade. And my experience with Catholic school was nuns who beat me with sticks and rulers. So my experience was disciplinary. And you should love God because I told you to. And if you don't, then I'm going to hit you with a ruler. So, and that's neither good nor bad, but that was my early experience. So fast forward to having cancer and going through that, I literally, literally felt the Holy Spirit with me. I felt in that chemo chamber, in the radiation room, I literally felt the presence of the Holy Spirit with me. And that, to me, that was the beginning for me of a personal relationship with, with Jesus Christ. And now, what I need to get better at, and my wife and I were just talking about this, just giving up control, just not needing to be in control all the time. That, I think, is a tendency of anybody who wants results, anybody who wants to achieve, anybody who has a mindset of success, it's hard to give up control, and that's what I'm working on right now. That's great stuff. I love it. What's been the most exciting part of your career that you're now in? I just think the, the interaction with families who are so, um, have so much potential and to see what happens when potential gets unlocked, to see what happens when head trash gets alleviated, to see what's possible, right? I really do get a huge, huge rush out of what I call the one plus one equals three principle. I love thinking through who can I put Eric with where the sum will be three? How can I help Eric to get further down his path? And I don't need anything. I don't need the law of reciprocity to take over. And in fact, I've really gotten to the point where it gives me a great rush to not have expectation in return. The dream killer is when you do things and you hope that quid pro quo comes alive. Mm -hmm. You hope that if I just introduce him to so-and-so, maybe then it'll come back to me. I left that at the gate a while ago. So for me, it's this idea of how can I help you get further in your dream or goal and see that come to light. That's really what gives me a rush. That's incredible. And, and one of the things that brings me joy as well is trying to do f- stuff for people that can do nothing in return for you. And I think you'll find the greatest joy from doing that as opposed to when you're waiting on somebody to reciprocate you because we're all flawed. And if you constantly rely on that, you're going to be let down. Here's some rapid fires. What's your favorite restaurant? Atlanta's got a ton. I talk to Wes Durham and Roddy Jones about this all the time. If you're, if you're thinking yeah, about Atlanta, there's so I'm, many. I'm, I'm, I'm weak because my favorite, my wife and I love this place called Pure, P-U-R-E, Pure Mexican. It is New Mexican, not New Mexico, newish Mexican. It's not, you know, sl- slinging tacos. It's cool Mexican. It's the greatest margaritas on the planet. 
It's old gas stations that converted into restaurants. It's a cool vibe. We probably get there once every two weeks, and that's our spot. Good deal. Next time I'm in Atlanta, that's where we're going. We're, we're going not going back margarita. to the no, same. No steakhouse. Yeah, absolutely. What was your first car? Chevy Caval- 1983 red Chevy Cavalier five-speed pop-up, uh, pop-up sunroof, no air conditioning, vinyl black seats. Love it. Really a sweet ride. What was your first job? Uh, first job in high school was slinging burgers at Burger King. Not slinging burgers, putting them on a conveyor belt, pulling frozen patties out and putting them on a conveyor belt. My first job out of college was at Merrill Lynch. Who's the most famous person in your phone? Mm. Mm. That's not right. And I won't make you call him, so you don't, even if it's a new number. Um, famous athlete, Larry Fitzgerald, Ray Lewis, probably right up there. Um, got some great country singers. My favorite, uh, maybe not the most famous person, but one of my favorite people, Bart Millard, lead singer of Mercy Me, super duper guy, needs to be on your podcast. We'll make that happen. That would be a dream come true. We'll make that happen. Yeah. That's the, I can only imagine. Yep. What a phenomenal movie. Phenomenal song, phenomenal story that he phenomenal, had with his phenomenal, dad and the Phenomenal story, and, and I'll take up more of my time than you're giving me, but we... No, you're fine. Ray Lewis, John Brankus of ESPN Sports Science fame, and I started a charity two and a half years ago called Ray of Hope Foundation. It's doing exactly what you did with the Build-A-Bear, but it's, it's developing a roster of athletes, celebrities, singers, musicians, influential business people who are willing to do a 30-second video and personalize it and send it to a child or person in need. We facilitate that whole process. We had a Super Bowl event last year in Atlanta. We had it at Porsche World Headquarters. We had 1,250 people. We had everybody from, you know, 25 Hall of Famers to famous singers and actors. But Bart Millard and Mercy Me came and performed, I can only imagine, live. That was the most moving moment I've had probably in the last 10 years. I mean, it was a surreal moment where Ray is standing on the stage with his hands up in the air looking up, and I can only imagine it's being sung by by Bart. So um, we'll make that introduction happen for sure. Let's do that. That's that's probably in my top five favorite songs right up there with – should have been a cowboy and some Garth stuff. But, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's probably my top Christian song. Last one, what's your favorite movie? Huh. Very hard. Very tough. Um, lots of them. The 300, Passion. You asked me one, I'm giving you multiple. No, I you're fine. I can't get there. I'm not the movie buff that my wife and, and my daughter are. I, I built a basement like yours. I thought I built it for me to watch football games, and they're on Apple TV watching every movie possible nice. down there all the time. So, so probably, probably um, you know, one of the passion movies, The 300, was a really inspirational movie uh, for me, or even Gladiator was an awesome awesome movie yeah those are all good ones rob i can't thank you enough for your time i can't thank you enough for traveling to louisville your impact and the time you've spent with me through this podcast has already made an impact on my life i'm sitting here writing down notes as we go just because i i can i'm going to listen to it back but i don't even want to forget it for the next eight hours of my day 
truly appreciate your time. Thanks for the impact that you'll make through this podcast. This was awesome. Thanks for having me, Eric. Thank you for listening to What's Next with Eric Wood. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please rate it five stars and subscribe. That goes a long way for us with this podcast. Tune in in a couple weeks for another new episode. Thank you.